Harry Potter had been incarcerated in cell block 4 of Prison Drive for so long he was imagining he saw a flying car through the bars on his windows. Oh, wait, that actually happened. A flying car in a suburban neighborhood rescuing an abused child through a second-story window and nobody noticed a thing. Welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, and I like to think that Miss Fig was watching all this through her window and reporting back to Dumbledore on the heroic breakout. And we finally, finally get to see the most iconic home in the wizarding world. Let's jump in to Chapter 3 of Chamber of Secrets, The Burrow. Ron, breathed Harry creeping to the window and pushing it up so they could talk through the bars. Ron, how did you... what the... Harry's mouth fell open. As the full impact of what he was seeing hit him, Ron was leaning out of the back window of an old turquoise car, which was parked in midair. Grinning at Harry from the front seats were Fred and George, Ron's elder twin brothers. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi. And welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where, despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through until my mid-twenties. That's the belated part. Now, we're going back a chapter or two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly... Dumbledore's role, and his master plan. What did he know? When did he know it? And the greater motivations guiding the story. And of course, infusing as much sarcasm as humanly possible. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Chapter 3, The Burrow. But before we get into it, this podcast will have spoilers. If you haven't read these by now, you're even later than I was. Seriously. It's like, been decades. This podcast could also have some adult language, and by could, I mean will. You can buy these books in the kids section at the bookstore, but I didn't read them until I was a grown-ass man. Special announcements. I mentioned before that I'd have more guests on for this particular book. Uh, That is in comparison to last season when we did the first book. So I figure now's yeah, it's good a time as any to tell you that the first guest is going to come on in two chapters when we hit chapter five, The Whomping Willow. This one is a radio professional, an old co-worker, and a personal friend who happens to also be a Potterhead and I think has listened to every episode that I've released to date. I can only promise that we will go off the rails multiple times, we'll likely do a lot of cursing, a lot of laughing, and I'm excited about it. And that is going to be the first guest of this season, uh, a season in which I said before I plan to bring more of them on, and so far I have six lined up who have picked the chapters that they want to cover and a couple other possibilities, so I'm actually pretty excited. Uh, That's already way more than the two that we had last season. Again, uh, the first coming in two chapters for chapter five, The Whomping Willow. But we're not there yet. And in case you were obliviated, 
or you got your Hogwarts letter late, last chapter, we covered Dobby's warning, and it was a shit show. We learned what a house elf was. We got introduced to wizard slavery. Uh, we learned that there's a plot to make bad things happen at Hogwarts this year, so this little dude has been stealing Harry's mail, which is a felony here in the States, I think. Um, don't be messing with people's mail. When Harry wouldn't agree to stay away from school, Dobby used magic to smash some pudding, causing a chain reaction of an owl crashing a dinner party, Vernon losing the sale of a lifetime, Harry receiving an official warning about using magic outside of school, and losing his only leverage that he had at the Dursleys that kept him living there in a remotely bearable state. Now that they know his Hogwarts hands are tied, they've done everything but hog-tying the rest of him. He can move his arms, but there are bars on his windows, he's fed through a cat flap in the door, and he's let out twice a day to take a shit. We ended the chapter with him waking up in the middle of the night to Ron staring at him through the bars on his window. Before we can move on to this week's chapter, and figure out if Harry's hallucinating or if Ron is actually there, we need to close the book on last chapter. And that means recapping our Expecto Plot Changeo. This is the part of the show where we theorize what we would expect to change in our story if we made one small adjustment to the plot of the chapter that we're covering. In Chapter 2 of Chamber of Secrets, Dobby's Warning, I asked, What if Harry just lied to Dobby? Said he wouldn't go back to Hogwarts. Would the elf perhaps left him alone? Would Harry have gotten the letter about underage magic at all? Would Dobby have kept tabs on him still and took the same future actions that he's going to take in the book anyways, or maybe even done worse? Would Vernon have actually made his sale? From my perspective, Harry's kind of a shitty liar, so I'm betting he would have gotten himself uh, caught by Dobby like, Right away. Dobby would, Dobby would probably know. I don't expect Dobby to be a, whatchamacallit, a, uh, a legilimens by any stretch of the imagination, but I also don't have a whole lot of faith in Harry's ability to fabricate the truth, particularly a now 12-year-old Harry, in the face of a house elf that he's never seen ever in his life. He probably uh, would have offended Dobby. Um, Dobby still probably would have ran around the house squealing like a banshee. Probably more magic, probably more chaos, probably more punishment. You know, the, the whole nine yards. I asked this question in particular because I've heard people suggest that he should have done just that and just lied to Dobby. And on the surface, that's probably 100% true. If Harry just told the elf what he wanted to hear, he might have gotten out of the mess. But I think even if he didn't give himself away in that moment, and Dobby did somehow believe him, Dobby wasn't just going to leave it alone. We still get the events to come where Dobby's trying to keep Harry away from school or get him sent home once he's actually there. Best case scenario. Uh, maybe he avoids underage magic in the warning that he gets in last chapter. Maybe. Maybe he's able to keep the leverage over the Dursleys that he is a magic boy and he can make bushes burn and whatnot. I, maybe. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe. It might be fair to say that without this warning, it would have changed the beginning of Order of the Phoenix as well. Um, because he wouldn't have had this official warning, so when he uses his Patronus in Order of the Phoenix, maybe he doesn't have uh, the harsh of a penalty of the Ministry immediately trying to expel him and snap his wand in half, but let's be honest. Fair, unfair, protocol, no protocol, following wizard law, not following wizard law, at that point in this story, nothing was going to change that attempted railroading. It just wasn't. So that wraps up our chat from last chapter. So that means as I get my little cell phone here ready and run fingers through my hair as if it's going to make a difference, flip it around selfie style, and get ready to shoot a video because it's time for... This week's Expecto Plot change o question from Chapter 3 in Chamber of Secrets, The Burrow, is What if Vernon woke up sooner and was actually able to stop Harry from escaping with the Weasley brothers? Do they get away, go to their parents? Does Dumbledore somehow get involved? Uh, does how, do, how does Harry get to Hogwarts if Vernon's able to stop this basically flying car kidnapping. Let me know your thoughts to be included in the next episode. This video that I just shot will be posted on social media across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and on the TikTok. You can respond with your thoughts on any of those platforms or as a voicemail on my website, belatedbinge.com. Now, it's time to dive into the events of this week's chapter with Priority Incan Chapter. We've reached the point where our wands connect, not the tips, just the streams, so that we can recap what went down in the chapter that we just read. This week, Chapter 3 of the Burrow starts with Ron Weasley just kind of chilling outside of Harry's barred window in the middle of the night, which seems perfectly normal. Just as normal as him doing so, hanging out of the back of a floating car. Did you forget that this is a magic series? Because we're reminded, smacked in the face right now, with a Ford Anglia. Who else is there? You might ask. If you didn't ask, I'm going to tell you anyways. Because this is my podcast and I make the rules. And we go down whatever tangent I feel like. The twins. That would be Fred and George. Weasley, because a flying car excursion is required to have the masters of shenanigans on board. And one of them actually driving said car. Because, let's be honest, Ron's not pulling this off on his own. Ron can't pull off his trainers on his own. See that? I used the word trainers. Because that's how they talk overseas. And it makes me sound cultured. But really, it's just said in the book a bunch of times. And I figured if I told you that he couldn't pull off his boots, you'd say, Hey, Zach, he doesn't wear boots. He wears trainers. Again, we go down whatever the hell tangent I want to on this podcast. Rather than making this escape from the Dursleys as quick as humanly possible, they start and try to talk about why Harry didn't answer his levers and way... Levers? Letters. Let... Let... 
letters and why he did magic in front of the muggles in the first place. And we also get an attempt at explaining how flying a magic car is somehow different than doing magic. I don't make the rules here. I'm just a grown man reading kids' books and talking about them on a podcast in the hopes of entertaining the tens of you listening so that I can one day become a full-time podcaster instead of working for a living one patron at a time. So that got real. Partially, we need the plot to move forward, and partially because the twins might be the greatest background characters in the history of young adult or possibly all of written fiction, they're able to pull the bars off the windows like a flying redneck at the truck pools, and they're also masters at stealth and lockpicking like they're trying out to be in a Fast and Furious heist movie. Probably lucky number 13 when they'll pull an alien spacecraft out of the sky with the magic power of a V8 and family. R.I.P. Paul Walker and the watchability of what was once my favorite movie franchise. And they almost got out unblemished. But Harry's the worst. We're like a page or two after him being actually a quite responsible pet owner by saving the last of his cold soup and giving it to Hedwig in her cage despite the fact that she was not super stoked about it. But he was, you know, practically being starved in his bedroom prison and still remembering to feed the owl. But now, as he's gonna escape that bedroom hell prison... He forgot Hedwig. She screeches, wakes up Vernon. Vernon comes blasting in the door, tries to grab Harry from, and I'm going to use air quotes here, escaping, and Harry barely gets free. Unlike the movie, he did not drag Vernon out the window to tumbling what we could only hope would be a broken neck, but at least Harry's out of the Dursleys at least until next summer when he goes back and they pretend that none of this shit ever happened. This is where a lot of people bring up the fact that Vernon wants to keep Harry from escaping. Again, those air quotes. Like, rather than be rid of this kid that he absolutely hates from his house, he would prefer to keep him locked up as a prisoner and be certain that he's absolutely miserable and not doing magic. Because he's a twisted individual, who might have turned out to be a serial killer if these books were about him and not about Harry. So now we're in a flying car. Like you do. Hedwig, now flying along after being caged all summer, it's kind of a wonder that she didn't just plummet to the ground like when you try to stand up after your legs fall asleep. I'm kind of surprised that her wings didn't, you know, take a minute to get some feeling back in them, but she did not plummet to the ground. She flew along very gracefully, I imagine, by the car. On the ride, on the, you know, the flight, on the way to the across the country place where the Weasleys live. Uh, and, and during this ride or flight or whatever we're calling it, he tells his ginger friends about Dobby and all the nonsense and they hypothesize about who's plotting what and where Dobby came from and who's Dobby's master. They actually guess that Draco might be behind the whole thing and that his family would be old and rich enough to have a house elf. 
ding for our little detectives. But they have no idea why or what the plot would actually be. They kind of land on it being a prank slash joke plan thing by Draco to just stop Harry from coming back to Hogwarts because, of course, he would be obsessed enough with getting Harry out of Hogwarts during the summer to try such a thing after so many failed attempts during their first year in school. Of course, when put in that light, it actually makes a lot more sense. Because, seriously, all of book one, what was Draco doing? literally just trying to get Harry thrown out of school. Very annoying, actually. Uh, Then we get some small talk about Percy being weird, their dad working at the ministry, and what his job is and kind of the hypocrisy of his job being to catch people enchanting muggle stuff while they drive a car he enchanted to fly. Until, of course, it lands. And... We're at the borough. It's named the borough because, well, that's what the sign out front says that it is. Of course. This has got to be a thing that happens across the pond, I would assume. Um, Maybe it happens here in the U.S. more, but I haven't seen people just naming their homes unless it's like an Airbnb or a rental kind of situation. Uh, I've seen plenty of people put signs out in front of their house, but normally it's just got, like, their last name on it or something, not a fictional name of said house. Maybe I should name my house. See if it catches on. Be a trendsetter? Probably not. And the way that the Burroughs described is pretty much just as whimsical as you want it to be. Multiple stories high that appear to be held up by magic, almost as if the magic people who lived there just kept popping out kids and had to keep adding on to their house to fit them all in. Ron's a little hesitant and apologetic. Harry actually thinks the house is amazing, which I think makes Ron feel a little bit better. Um, And at that point, we're all kind of feeling good and thinking that, all right, here we go. We're just going to sneak inside. We're going to go to bed and... Nobody's gonna even know we were gone. But that's not how sneaking out works. No. Here comes Mama Bear Weasley, looking like a saber-toothed tiger. Which is terrifying. She doesn't even let them get inside. She comes right across the yard and starts laying into them in only the way that a worried Mama Bear can. This actually reminds me of a time that I snuck out as a kid... A time, sorry, mom listens to this podcast, the only time I ever snuck out as a kid. A friend was staying over. I don't remember what friend it was. We got out of the house. We jumped on our bikes to go somewhere. I don't remember where we were going. Knowing the time and age that we were, there was likely a girl or toilet paper involved somehow. Uh, we made it about a mile or so down the road of our the you know neighborhood that we lived in. I'm I'm guesstimating at a mile. Uh, I don't actually know how long how far it was, but I can tell you that we were right by the um the like public pool that was there. And at this time, my mom drove a lowered Honda Del Sol with a really loud exhaust, which was always a shock to people when she pulled up somewhere. 
and even more of a shock when two preteen boys after curfew heard it pull up behind them. It was a really long ride back home and a very unpleasant experience. I'm sure that mom remembers this exact mama bear feeling. Anyways, the iconic screaming at her kids, no, note, car, gone, you, you know the lines uh, at this point, juxtaposed to her pleasantries with Harry. It's kind of a classic Molly MI7 kids Weasley moment. But to Harry's surprise, even after this, she makes breakfast. Still giving her own kids shit. He meets Jenny for about half a second before she freaks out at the very sight of him and runs away. It's it's really good to know that in this series, you really can marry the famous person you're obsessed with growing up. But we're not there yet. And after Molly feeds everyone, instead of letting him go to bed, she makes him stay up and do chores. Outside, in the sun. Molly M. I, seven, kids, Weasley, for the win. The activity, denoming the garden, which is a thing where you apparently catch live gnomes, which I think are supposed to look like the little garden gnomes that you have probably in your garden or you've seen probably around Christmas time with the beards and the hats and all of that. I think we're supposed to believe that they're just alive. And what you do to denome a garden in the wizarding world with them is pick them up and swing them around and around and around and around and around and throw them as far as you can. Which sounds hysterical. And then Papa Weasley comes home from work because apparently you work third shift sometimes when you work for the ministry with no explanation at all. And he gets it, <laughs> he, he gets it good from his wife. And by get it, I, I mean he, he catches shit. Not, this is PG, kids. Super PG. Uh, but basically, she's not stoked that he enchanted that car in the first place. And there's a little back and forth, to say the least. Uh, but it does get interrupted by Arthur realizing that Harry Potter is at his house, and that he arrived by way of said flying car. And his reaction did not land well with his wife. You can vividly just see the movie scene, right? How did it go? Oh, that was very wrong, very wrong indeed. That part, yeah. That pretty much captures the Arthur Weasley portion of this. I don't think that the movie quite captured the Molly Mama Bear Weasley part as much, though. But as the two adults in the room are, I'd say, um, having a discussion about what has taken place, the kids sneak away to Ron's room, uh, and by kids at this point I mean Ron and Harry, uh, which is decorated in orange for the Chudley Cannons Quidditch team. And if I'm not mistaken, that's like the last time we actually hear of that. I might be mistaken, let me know. Uh, and Ron's a little bit embarrassed again at the size of his room and, and all of that, but Harry ends the chapter saying, it's the best house He's ever 
been in. And that wraps up the chapter, bringing us to... This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Explain Yarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, hey, you're rich. Having a podcast takes a lot and it's not easy. So your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, GoodPods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that'll unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal 
is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. Speaking of supporting the podcast, I wanted to say thank you to AB2793, who left a five-star review and called the show a must-listen. He said the show had me at the title. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, and I love the idea that you have for the show. The hosting is wonderful, and I love, love, love the idea of going chapter by chapter of one of my favorite series of all time. The discussion and dissection of each chapter is so fun for me, and I really enjoy listening. I would definitely recommend this show. I love reading these reviews. I love sharing these reviews. I love hosting this show. Thank you, uh, seriously, for all of the kind words. And to the rest of you listening, I encourage you to leave a review as well. Hopefully you enjoy the show as much as AB2793 does. It makes me feel good. It helps more people give a chance to the show as they're scrolling through and they see positive things that people have said. Um, And I just appreciate it. So go ahead and leave one if you don't mind. Now, it's time for... Lumos. Lumos. Let's raise our wand and light the tips. It's time to illuminate... Fred and George Weasley, who were on absolutely full display in this chapter, from their ninja-like reflexes, their MacGyver-like skill set, each dragging a pair of gigantic Gryffindors for the sheer daring and nerve to pull off this rescue mission. Let that visual sink in. Solid, just brass Gryffindors, like, like the knockers on Dumbledore's office yeah i don't think he needed that visual anyway not to mention the mini detective instincts that they're all you know unknowingly putting together in real time on the way back for the whole like who would have dobby been the house elf of it's that mystery they pretty much figured out except for the the why and they also took their lumps from molly like complete pros of mischief they've clearly been on the receiving end of her uh, maybe once or twice at this point in their lives. So today I want to bring you into my personal headcanon on these two a little bit and for the most part we're doing so based on them as a character in it of themselves like the twins. Um, Do they have their own personalities? Of course. Are they unique? Yes. But do they literally have, like, a single page in the entire series where they show up individually? Yep, pretty much. So, while I'm not an expert on twins, nor was the author of this series, and I'm treating them as a package deal, it's because that's what we get on the page. Not because I think that they can't stand alone as characters. Now, about that headcanon. I picture... These two kids growing up just every day in the garage with their dad while he's tinkering on muggle radios, 
Swiss Army knives, rubber ducks, and whatever else he can get his hands on. They're right there next to him, just completely fascinated by it, just as much as he is. I think Bill and Charlie were already older. Percy would have been a mama's boy and probably not interested in any of this muggle shit. Ron and Ginny were in diapers. I'm guessing those two were the ones that really took to Arthur. The excitement that they have, along with Ron, when Arthur came home in this chapter was, it was very much like, dad is my hero type of vibes to me. I doubt Percy gave a shit when dad came home. But these two probably got giddy every single day. And they probably loved the time that they got to spend playing with dad's toys out in the garage with him. And as they grew older, as their interests in it started to shift, I think. Um, I think it wasn't just about being like dad anymore. They wanted to learn whatever they could to help in their shenanigans and I'm betting they were already thinking about experiments in what would honestly later become the joke shop. Think about it. Before you can develop your own magical products, don't you need a foundational knowledge of non-magical products, probably? In all reality, these two are the Hogwarts version of engineers. And they couldn't just wake up at 16 and realize they could create shit from scratch. That's just not how the world works. It all started as kids in the garage with Arthur, taking muggle stuff apart, figuring out how it all works, how it's assembled, how to break it, then how to fix it, how to manipulate it. And then as their magical abilities improved, how to enchant it. From there, they went on to make slightly different versions of things and then those slightly different versions became magical versions and then they started making their own things from scratch and they just graduated to their own magic it really is a real like rags to riches journey for these two and we learn later that they're actually very very gifted wizards Hermione says so in Half-Blood Prince. I think they've been working toward it for a lot longer than what we see on the pages of these books. I think that while they didn't have a business plan for a joke shop necessarily, their natural curiosities were leading them in that direction probably as soon as they could walk. And of course, spending time with their dad that's it that's my weasley twins headcanon let me know where it lands for you now let's do some divination it's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future fred and george picking the lock sneaking Harry's school stuff from the cupboard and rescuing him after getting in trouble for using magic kind of has a hint of our first shadow for a few moments. Like, perhaps, when the Order of the Phoenix comes to sneak Harry away from the Dursleys after he gets in trouble for doing magic. Hmm. Sensing a theme. 
I also like the small nuance that they have to pick the lock on his door. It always kind of reminds me of the knife that Sirius gives to Harry to, you know, pick locks. The one he uses to get into Umbridge's office in that very same book. The second foreshadow is a quote. Percy's been acting very oddly this summer. This side comment on the flight back to the burrow. I've landed on flight, by the way. Not ride. Flight. After they've extracted the Chosen One, the note about Percy kind of becomes a theme in the book. Uh, I'll be honest, it's great. Later on, when it comes up that Ginny caught Percy doing something, the author was totally hinting that she caught him during some of his alone time, but it turns out he was making out with a girl not playing with himself. It's a fairly hilarious background mystery that reminds us that these are kids in school with hormones, puberty, and that kind of shit, and it just, it makes me laugh. You know, I don't, I don't need the visual of where that makeout session might have been headed, and I certainly don't need the visual of what was implied as the little Percy red herring, but it's hilarious that it's included. Lighthearted, if you will. The third foreshadow is another quote. You could have died. You could have been seen. You could have lost your father his job. Molly blowing up on her kids mama bear style has another hint of foreshadowing to very soon in this very book when Ron and Harry can't get to Hogwarts on the express because the barrier is blocked so they can't get to the train and instead of the logical choice of waiting for the adults they steal the car and they fly to school they almost die and they're nearly expelled which every Potterhead knows is a fate worse than death they're seen and they nearly lose Arthur his job Our fourth and final foreshadow for this episode is yet another quote. What a night. Nine raids. Nine! Arthur Weasley recounting his job and these raids is also going to come back up later. Particularly when Harry sees the Malfoys in Borgen and Burks trying to sell off some of the shady shit that they have just in case they're raided and then there's also that dad fight that's coming up and of course the Malfoys do end up getting raided it's kind of a a a whole thing and this is our first hint at it right here uh and a thing that I heard somebody say where was it I want to say it was one of the guest hosts on the restricted section um I think it was actually when they covered the Chamber of Secrets book, but my memory is just awful. Uh, But this person in particular suggested that the raids that Arthur is going on is in reaction to the end of book one when Harry stops the 
parasitic version of Voldemort protruding from the back of Quirrell's head from getting a hold of the sorcerer's or philosopher's stone and getting a body and riches and ever you know the the ability to live forever um i think their point was with voldemort coming so close to a return at that time and at that time the ministry of magic didn't at least seem completely incompetent it gave arthur some uh leeway and rope to be more um aggressive i guess you could say uh with trying to catch people who might have objects and be trying to help facilitate a a Voldemort return i thought it was an interesting take i probably butchered it completely and maybe if somebody over there is listening um christina please help me if you remember uh (laughs) Uh, they can set me straight on exactly what that was, but I think that was the gist of it, and I always found that very, um, very interesting. Um, so before we move on, I, I've got a couple other honorable mentions. Getting getting back to the foreshadowing uh, divination bit of our own episode here. Ginny's uh, crush on Harry kind of becomes a big deal. Wedding bells, anyone? Uh, and Molly gives us our first name drop of Gilderoy Lockhart in this chapter who becomes a very big deal in this book douchebag anyone sorry that leads us to giving away some house points points. in true hogwarts fashion these points are completely subjective with no oversight and are at my full discretion this week, I'm giving house points to Ron, uh, Fred and George Weasley, the twins. They're getting 20 points each for their heroics in rescuing Harry from the Dursley's hell. Uh, Ron is going to get 15 for the same reason, but the twins ninjaed their way in to get Harry's shit, and one of them drove the car, and that just earns a few more points in my book. Uh, also, I'm going to give some points to Molly Weasley. She's going to get five for her mama bearness, her use of manual labor as a punishment, uh, but also still feeding them like kings before she makes them go do the manual labor. She loves her kids, and she was only mad because she was scared for their safety. And that's sweet. So now I'm going to take away some points from Vernon Dursley, losing another five points for trying to grab Harry and stop him from getting in the car and leaving. That's it. Aside from that ugly Vernon-shaped blemish, it was actually a really happy chapter. So I will add these points into my nerdy-ass spreadsheet and tally them up for the end of this season's Bingy Awards. So now before we go, I have to acknowledge the moments in this chapter that were utterly... Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's not an episode of The Binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense. Starting with, I harped on the underage magic thing, the trace, last chapter a lot. So I'm not going to do it again this chapter, but I am going to point out that if you have to explain the technicality of why a flying car doesn't trip the same alarm bells as a flying pudding... 
It's probably dumb. But credit for consistency, and at least that rule for the trace. Because when it comes back later, when they have to use brooms and thestrals and the like to leave because they don't want the trace on Harry to catch him using magic during the seven potters thing, um, you know, they they stick to this same theme. So uh, I'm glad that there was at least that level of consistency. Everything else is fairly uh, confusing. As enjoyable as this chapter is, I'm just going to say it. It's a bit ridiculous that three children were able to successfully sneak out, steal a car, make it fly, not get spotted by anybody, know to use cloud cover to hide themselves, shield themselves, if you will, have the proper towing equipment handy to pull the bars off of Harry's window, break into a suburban home with a parked getaway car hovering at the second story level and back across the country with the fourth child and everything that that fourth child owns, basically. And all of it just went perfectly. Not only did nobody die or get caught out and about, everything was just absolutely perfect. Until they got home and caught by... Molly Weasley that that part was realistic that's literally the only part of it that went the way that this goes ever ever the rest just even in this universe is it's just too perfect too rosy with that we've reached the end of this episode of the binge as always shout out to producer Jack who I work like a dog remember follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using right now and if it supports a rating and review option please leave one and if you're so inclined check out the additional benefits that are now available on patreon.com slash belated binge there's a link in the show notes for that if you're reading along next episode we're covering chapter four of harry potter and the chamber of secrets at flourish and blots Until then, I'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast. It's a bit small, said Ron quickly. Not like that room you had with the muggles. And I'm right underneath the ghoul in the attic. He's always banging on the pipes and groaning. But Harry, grinning widely, said, This is the best house I've ever been in. Ron's ears went pink.